0: With your permission, Lord Jesus Christ, truly present among us in the most blessed sacrament. Today, we celebrate the feast day, Saint John Paul II, the only the only canonized saint, as far as we know, to ever visit the city of New Britain, Connecticut, and um, he actually remembered John Paul II in our in our city. Just this. Joy of of considering that. John Paul II visited our city, and and a real canonized saint was here. Now, when Michael McGivney gets canonized, hopefully in a few years, there'll be a canonized saint around most of the Archdiocese. But for now, we're going to claim our claim to fame that we had a canonized saint visit our city. In the 1970s, as the Archbishop, Cardinal Archbishop of Krakow, John Paul II went to visit a number of the large Polish communities living outside of the United States. And so he came here to New Britain, Connecticut. And there's a funny story that a priest from our diocese tells that he and a priest from Philadelphia were visiting. They went to Rome for something and they were able to meet John Paul II. And, um, you know, they were in a line and he came and he, he said hello to each one. And this priest from Philly, very suave, he knows his way around the Vatican. And he said, look, this guy's never even heard of Connecticut, like, you know, just um, just say your name and say you're from like America or something. He's never heard of Connecticut. He's never heard of the Archdiocese of Hartford. And uh, I meanwhile, well, the priest from Philly's like, but he's heard of Philadelphia and he's friends with our Archbishop and this whole thing. So, um, so the, um, he comes by and he's meeting, and, and our priest from Connecticut says, Your Holiness, pleasure. I'm from the Archdiocese of Hartford, and um, the Pope's eyes just lit up. He said, New Britain. I've been to New Britain. And that, okay. And then, like, the Pope kind of keeps going down the line, but he's still talking to the guy from Harvard, including the Philadelphia guy. And the Philadelphia guy is like next. And the guy from Philly is like, I wanted to say hello from our Cardinal. And, all, and the Pope's like, So tell me, how's Archbishop Whalen? How and tell me about Connecticut, right? And he goes this whole thing. And it's just so he remembered a canonized saint now in heaven, Pope when he was alive vicar of christ on earth remembered new britain connecticut you knew the exact like date he was there and um and he just you know it uh, so we here in our city we're in a place that that the vicar of christ on earth you know not when he was vicar of christ when he was just a cardinal but he he just a cardinal he he visited us and um John Paul II is a very modern saint. He's a saint of modern times. I remember I was alive when he died. I remember watching all the this funeral and you know those final days on TV. I was alive when John Paul II was pope. He's a modern saint. I think sometimes some of the other saints as much as we love them, it's like, you know, Gregory the Great. I can't even tell you when he was pope. Who knows, right? There's um I don't know, Pope uh, Sixtus, right? Pope Sixtus II, early Christian martyr, absolutely, but I don't feel as I'm I'm as closely related. But John Paul II, yeah, like modern saint, somebody I remember, uh, somebody who who is very much alive and influential in the church as the as the head of the church, um, Vicar of Christ, successor of Saint Peter, during at least you know a number of our lifetimes. And John Paul II, his very life is a testimony to what happens when one person, when one young man, gives himself entirely to God, entirely to God, holding nothing back. John Paul II gave himself entirely to you, Lord, out of love for you. In fact, it's one of his stories, again, there's so many stories about his life, but that he, you um, just spend an incredible amount of time in your presence, Lord, He's the he's the pope, and he's praying in your presence. He's he's being nourished by you, and he would even they would. um, Jason Everett tells the story that when they were traveling, he would he would go like spend time in these in these churches and their chapels, and whenever in other words, I think at one point it may have been in Philadelphia, it may have been somewhere else. The pope was kind of passing through, and they're making arrangements ahead of time, and they said. Do you have a do you have a chapel with the blessed sacrament in this building? And they're like, "Yeah, right here." He's like, "Hide it." Right? Lock the door. Don't draw any attention to it because if the pope finds it, he's going to be in there for a while. And we've got a tight schedule, right? So they tried the best they could. They kind of locked the door. They didn't have any decorations on it, so that hopefully the pope just walking down the hallway wouldn't notice and they'd be able to stay on schedule. And the pope kind of got to the door and he stopped. And he looked and then he turned to the, the, the organizer like, uh you almost got me, right?" And then he went and he spent some time in our Lord's presence and threw the whole schedule off. But that was That's a man who gave himself entirely because he knew it's not just the celebrity. It's not just his incredible personal skills, as great as they were. He had incredible gifts and talents. He had a, a, a incredible intellect. He was he was incredibly. I mean, he was smart. He was very smart. He was a genius. Um, He was very talented. He was a gifted actor. He loved the theater. Here you go, Pope, who was in high school plays, in college plays. He was in a kind of college band of of actors. Just loved theater, right? Very modern. That's a very modern thing um, to not just be the Pope, but now a saint. Here's a saint who was in a high school drama club, right? Um, We can too. Um, But he has gifts and talents. But above all, John Paul II was... um, He was successful because he gave himself 100% to Jesus. And oftentimes he would pray prostrate on the floor, right? Laying down, face down on the floor, just prostrate before our Lord, giving himself entirely over. There's a totality to praying in in the prostrate position. It's actually what you do at ordination, diaconate priestly and Episcopal consecration, that one of, the, one of the kind of more moving elements of that ceremony is, is the man to be ordained lays prostrate on the floor, laying down, literally laying down his life. And John Paul II repeated that act of laying down his life time and time again in his personal prayer, giving himself entire, that's entirely to the Lord. That, that's what made him successful as a priest and as a bishop, as a Christian, that's what made him successful, giving himself entirely to you, Lord. He was forged, this, this virtue of his, this abandonment of his was forged in the fires of some of the greatest evils that the world has ever seen. He, his country was invaded by the Nazis when he was a young man. His university studies were canceled. A number of his professors were murdered. Um... As a young man, he was forged under Nazi occupation. He himself almost died. He was a seminarian in, in secret. And, and actually, he was, there were was just two men in his class, and the other one was discovered and, and was murdered um, for being a seminarian. And John Paul II never, always remembered to pray for him. Because um, here, it could have been either one of them. Think about how different the world would have been if it just would have been a little different that night, that the Nazis caught one of them and not the other. The entire world would have been different. But um, these systems of evil, and then Poland was liberated from the Nazis only to fall under the, um, the dictatorship of, of the communist regime and, and the evil um, that is, uh, was as murder, probably more, more even more uh, murderous than, um, than, than even the Nazis. And these systems of evil and of godlessness... Both the Nazi and the communist regimes are, are militant atheist uh, movements to cut God out of life, to dehumanize people, and to reduce them to just um, some form of identity, base identity, whether you know, to demonize them for, for being Jewish in that sense, or just their, their bloodline with the Aryanism, or, um, or the communism of just dehumanize people are just work, they're just workers, and there's no greater, there's no greater um, calling, no higher calling. John Paul II forged in these systems of, of evil. And it's in, in the midst of those trials. And, and look, we are living very much under, maybe not as explicit of a dictatorial system. But there's definitely signs of, of the the closed-mindedness and the totalitarianism of thought in many movements today that are trying to stomp out human dignity and aggressively trying to to change um, so much of of the morality that God himself wrote into creation just to ignore it and anyone who who opposes that or tries to just even speak um, and offer a counter viewpoint, even in the academic settings, are, are canceled and they're shut down that's that's a system of uh, that's a dictatorship, and that is that's something that's becoming increasingly more, more real today. And it could be possible in the face of that to despair, and to to even um, be afraid. Uh, but John Paul II himself was forged in systems similar to those to these that we live under, uh, and way worse, way more explicit, way more progressed in their own way. And yet that same young man, one day as Pope, could boldly proclaim to the entire world, be not afraid. Taking just the words from Christ to St. Peter, be not afraid. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. John Paul II saying that to the entire world, be not afraid. I just saw a video today, um, and it's in Spanish, but, but he's saying the same you know, do not be afraid. And he's like shouting it. He's yelling, do not be afraid. It was in it was in Spanish, but he um and and he's he's being very um because we need people we need to hear that. And when we're afraid, and we shut down and in times of fear, we go into this this mindset a lot of times that can be very just focused on survival, and we don't we don't keep our eyes focused on what's what's most important because we just go into survival mode. And Jesus tells us and his vicar John Paul II boldly do not be afraid. And sometimes we need to shout it shouted to us. Stop, you're afraid. What are you afraid of? Stop being afraid. Do not be afraid. From his opening homily when he became pope is where he says that. Brothers and sisters, do not be afraid to welcome Christ and to accept his power help the Pope and all those who serve who wish to serve Christ and with Christ's power to serve the human people and the whole mankind do not be afraid open wide the doors for Christ open wide the doors for Christ it was um aprite spelling spell right here spell it's, a, it's a, it's, it doesn't just mean open. It means like throw the doors open, right? Like to violently throw the doors open. And that's what he's calling us to do. The doors of our hearts. Spelancate le porte. Throw the doors open. Not just a little bit. Just, you know, I'll, I'm going to follow you a little bit. Maybe dip my toe in the water. You know, peek through the door. <laughs> I'm gonna open the door and peek through and see if it's safe out there. See if it's safe to let you in. I don't really know. I'm gonna keep the chain, right? That chain there. I'm gonna keep the chain when I open the door so that I can still. You actually can't get. Jump says a second, None of that. No, be not afraid. Spell le porte. Throw the doors open. Do not be afraid. Christ knows what is in man, and he alone knows it. Jesus knows what's in each and every one of us. Jesus, you know us. John Paul II knew that, that you, you know what's in us. You know us. That's a line just from the, John's Gospel. No one had to reveal humanity to you. Lord, you knew it. You, ha- you are a man like us in all things but sin. You know us. You know our weakness. You know our fears. You know our hopes. You know us. John Paul II teaches us this in a, in a real way. And he worked in a particular way with, with university students. He worked with young people early on in his, in his priesthood. He spent a lot of his time working with, um, with young people, with college students. He saw that's we formed the students. They're the ones in front of him. He was made a university chaplain. And it's through formation in particular, learning the love of God. Learning, um, yeah, learning who Jesus is, learning the truth. If we we receive, if we're able to receive good formation, to be formed in love for you, Lord, well, then then we'll be the systems of hate and of evil, death and destruction. They have no power over us if we're formed in love. And so he spent a lot of his time forming young people, and he would be called... um, when they were traveling one night they were they were going out traveling for a kayaking trip, and the um there was a bunch of girls there who had left from the girls' residence, but they were going to get locked out. they were locked out. There was no way they were going to get back to their place and uh, the boys who were supposed to meet them um something came up, and they couldn't come right So now you just got this this young priest in his mid twenties with these bunch of college girls, and it's under communism. And he, um, so they're not, you know, he's not even really allowed to be there. And the train comes and they're supposed to go off on this trip. And the girl's like, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? Um, we, he's like, well, let's, let's get on the train. We planned the trip. Let's go, right? And they were going to meet up with some other people out wherever they were going. And, um, and so the girls asked him. They said, well, well, what can we call you? What are we supposed to call you? Because you start calling this guy father. Um, you know, It's going to raise eyes, particularly under the, the communist regime. And so he just said, like, well, call me uncle. Right, fine, don't call me father, call me uncle. And that could be a line that we see as a, throw, a throwaway line, right? Call, call me uncle. Um, but the, the line, call me uncle, actually, he was just citing a, um, a play. Uh, not a play, a, a novel, The Deluge, Potap. And he, uh, one of the very famous work of Polish literature by Enoch Sienkiewicz, with Fire and Sword, Agne Mimiechem, Potap, uh, The Deluge, and uh, Pan Verwiolski, um uh, Fire in the Step is how it's translated into English. This very famous Polish trilogy of liter- Polish literature that the girls were known and he knew. And in particular in this, in this second book, The Deluge, Poland is invaded by the Swedes. And they basically take over all of Poland. And this small group is going to start a resistance. And it's in the midst of that, that actually where they're escaping captivity, that One of the characters says to another, well, what am I supposed to call you? He said, call me uncle. And so it's not just that John Paul II said, yeah, you can't call me father, call me uncle. But he's citing here something real. Because now Poland has been taken over, not by the Swedes, but by communism in the world in many ways. And the small group is starting a resistance. And so when he says, call me uncle, it harkens back to that scene. And the girls would have known it right then. We're not just going, you know, kayaking. That this is the resistance movement, which is beginning. Not through violence, but through the changing of hearts. It ended up that Poland was saved by the changing of the hearts of the Polish people, who decided not to just accept the Swedish invasion, but to, to remember who they are, and to resist it. And so call me uncle. And that in many ways, he forms us. We should pray to John Paul II to form us. There's a massive effort of dehumanization going on in our culture. And we are being formed through the transformation of our hearts, Lord, here in your presence, to be the beginning of that difference, to be formed in in love for you. You call us to follow you in this way. So it wasn't just a throwaway line, call me uncle. No, it's, it's, an ident- it's a mission statement of what this whole thing is all really about. John Paul II was marked with, in his life with tremendous suffering. He experienced the cross, particularly at the end of his life. He was a very athletic man. He, he was very handsome. Um, I remember someone telling me about John Paul II. I, I, was, I think it was when I was visiting Poland, um, or maybe it was somewhere in Italy. It would be a very Italian thing to happen, Right. And, um, John Paul, someone's, John Paul II, he visited here. It, that, the John Paul II, it's like, yeah, he's holy, he's smart. They're like, no, no, he was really handsome, right? He's, he's a handsome pope. Um, that's, that's what uh, a lot of the Italians remember about him, this, the handsome pope, right? He was, he's a handsome young man, he he's elected pope only at the age of 58, and he, um, and he was a holy man, a smart man, but he then, he was athletic, very athletic, but then in he began to suffer, and particularly after he was almost assassinated in the 1980s. He never really fully recovered from that, and so he suffered tremendously. And uh, George Weigel, his biographer and friend, talks about the very last picture we have of John Paul II alive is from Good Friday. He died on Divine Mercy Sunday, so it's from Good Friday. Um, no, maybe he did try to give the angels address that, that. Anyway, it's one of the last pictures we have of him alive. And it's from behind. And he's holding the cross for the Stations of the Cross on Good Friday. And George Reichelt says it's as if he's saying, after all this time, as one of the most popular men in the entire world, for the entirety of his pontificate, but don't look at me. Look at the cross. He's our dad, our papa, right? The pope is papa, dad. And he's our dad who teaches us how to embrace the cross, A good dad teaches his children how to embrace suffering. And that we can see John Paul II for all the fame and all the joy and all the the zeal and the the enthusiasm. But he teaches us as well suffering. How to suffer in union with Christ. How to to live the cross. And how to do it in a redemptive way. But in the midst of that suffering you know, when we suffer, it could be very easy to be like, oh, I'm I'm suffering, right? I'm suffering so much and I'm miserable. One of the things he taught is, um, how to have a sense of humor in, in the midst of suffering. There are two, two kind of jokes, stories that I remember that he, um, he's kind of walking, he's got his cane, he's really struggling. And as he's going, he, um, there's this group of, you know, cardinals and important people there, and he, he decided to cite Galileo, right? Galileo, who said that it's the earth that moves around the sun. And, um, and as Galileo was kind of being let out from his trial, he's like, look, it still moves. <laughs> Whether you believe me or not, it still moves. And so John Paul II kind of, sees. he's like, it still moves, <laughs> right? As he's struggling to even just walk to his seat. And there's another story, just he, um, Again, in the midst of all this suffering and everything, but there was a family that was visiting, and they were out on a balcony. And I, I visited that same balcony uh, in Rome at the Apostolic Palace when I was able to meet Pope Benedict. And he, um, John Paul II would go outside. And he, said, he said to these kids, like, you know what I do sometimes, as Pope? I go outside, and I look up at the sky and this beautiful bright sky there at night. I look up at the night sky and I try to decide which ones are stars and which ones are airplanes. Right? That's, how beautiful, a guy who's suffering so much, but then people come to visit and he's able to just have, have a real sense of humor and not, because when we embrace the cross, we can do it even with a smile. And the final lesson from John Paul II is obviously his love for our mother. And as we conclude this time of meditation, John Paul II loved our mother. He loved the rosary. He loved all forms of Marian devotion. He taught us to love Our Lady. And so, as he was totally given over to her, in total consecration, um, he, he showed this profound, even as the Pope, has a love for our mother and to just be, be a son of, of his mother, Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so he can also teach us how to have a live, an alive devotion, a lively devotion to our mother, who continues to watch over us and protect us. John Paul II, the only canonized saint to visit our city, New Britain. We ask him to pray for us tonight, the saint of modern times, uh, to teach us how to be fully in love with Christ and how to be not afraid, um, but to open wide, to throw open the doors of our hearts and allow the love of our Savior to enter in. Thank you, my God. For the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation, I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.